we should actually uh, talk about the thing we're supposed to talk about. <laughs> eh, eh. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's I guess. That's that, uh, summing this one up. Um. So, welcome to the Bowie Book Club. I'm Christiane. I'm Greg. And we've had a book club for about 10 years. Yeah, 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 give or take. We read a lot of books and sometimes we talked about them. Mostly we just got drunk and gossiped. But at the sad loss of David Bowie last year, we decided to get our act together and read through the list of 100 most influential books that David Bowie had made. And we're reading through in no particular order. In fact, in a completely unparticular order. (laughs) And we're making wild speculation as we go. Indeed. And this is no exception. This one... Yeah, what? Uh, I guess we should tell them what we read. <laughs> the Bridge, a long poem a in long, pieces. long, poem. By Hart Crane. Hart Crane. Not Stephen Crane. Nope, not Stephen Crane. <laughs> <laughs> not the guy who wrote The Red Badge of Courage. Which I know. I when I first I saw it on the list, I was like... I know that name, but in <laughs> it, fact, I did not. Isn't that the guy who wrote Leatherstocking? <laughs> that red badge of courage, <laughs> which made me think there hasn't been any uh, young adult books on this list, have there? Oh, no. Not, we keep trying not to really. make there be. Yeah. Like we tried to make the outsider into the outsiders and the bridge into the red badge of courage. <laughs> yeah, but as far as Bowie went, I don't, yeah, I don't think he put any, and no science fiction either. Has there been? Surprisingly, no. Yeah. Huh. Well, time will tell. Yes. Time time, and bibliomancy will tell. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, Harold Hartcrane, who wrote by, under the name Hartcrane. Right. Um, uh, modernist poet, writing in the 20s and 30s. Maybe not modern enough for my uh, taste. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> did this weird thing where he was attempting to have a foot in both worlds, yeah, romantic so, and modern. And uh, so he was born 1899 in Ohio. <laughs> and he, wait, do that again. <laughs> and he, <laughs> it's like you're gonna start yodeling. <laughs> Ohio. He lived uh, mostly there, then New York, with a brief sojourn with his mother uh, on an island south of Cuba. I, th- I think is where, and that's where he started this. Mm-hmm. I think he got like some huge grant, like the equivalent of forty or fifty thousand dollars to start writing this poem, which is a sweet grant I for know. a poet. <laughs> um, I'm available to write really crappy high school poetry. <laughs> uh, uh, let me let me uh, give you an example. Pity me not, O oh moon. How's that? That's a good start, right? I felt, I felt the spirit move upon me. Yes, <laughs> my 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 wrist was upon my brow. <laughs> Fetch me my fainting chase. Upon thy brow. The, yes, thou brow. Thou brow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, oh, the other uh, salient fact of his youth is that his father invented the lifesaver. Right, he had a chocolate company or something. Yeah, but yeah. He, he made his money in candy. Yeah. Which and also sweet deal. <laughs> dun, 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 <laughs> uh, oh, I'll, I'll yeah. see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> and so Hart Crane uh, was stuck in between his parents' unhappy marriage, and apparently, according to a couple bio pieces I read in like uh, Academy of American Poets, um, he was used against parents by parents. You know that kind of nasty divorce scenario. Um, and maybe his mother was 
semi-psychotic, question mark. Um, his dad was certainly a driven businessman. And when uh, Hart Crane came back to live with him and work um, among the people, he wanted to be, you know, I guess he worked at a munitions plant during the First World War. And then he decided that it didn't give him enough time for reading and writing. So he took a job at his dad's candy company. And I'm picturing his dad, you know, looking like a typical, you know, uh, captain of industry but just his face covered in chocolate all the time. <laughs> just a smear of chocolate around his Sampling mouth. the wares. <laughs> Heart, my boy, come over here. And he was trying to rid his son of the, the silly poetry. Right, right. Um, but Turn ultimately... Turn him into a businessman. Right. Because it was the 20s. It was industry, the boom. Everything was exciting. The business of America is business. Business. And the industry is industrious. Yes. And the... <laughs> Poetry is long-winded. Yes. So he, yeah, Kurt, uh, Hart Crane moves to New York and waxes poetic. And like like most people who move to New York, he lives in Brooklyn and thinks it's the best thing ever. <laughs> and that he's the best thing ever for living there. Um, <clears throat> he wrote the poem in 1930. It is, how many sections? I think there's six, six or seven. Let me count. Um... Eight. So eight sections, and some of those have subsections. Uh, let me just spoil uh, the ending. Uh, the last line is, <laughs> whispers antiphonal in Azure Swing. It's good, right? It's jazzy. <laughs> jazzy. None of this is jazzy. <laughs> <clears throat> for Yeah, for something so like Roaring Twenties. Yeah. And its outlook, it, it the, the language is... It harkens back to an era that I think only existed in people's memory, where everyone went around saying, oh, and thou, and thee, uh, yeah. and thine. Ugh. How many times do you use, oh, oh, Walt, <laughs> oh, Emily, oh, Isadora, oh, life, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my lanta. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so like the Roaring Twenties, he should be out having a ball of a time and writing jazz poetry, but it's a bit more romantic yeah trying to sound more refined even though he does use some pastiche to you know of advertising slogans and and stuff he's overheard to try to capture the feel of the city which essentially is what this is about like the i think the theme is supposed to be like moving from brooklyn into manhattan all the way down the island and kind of trying to talk about the place and then move back yeah. into Brooklyn at, at night. I mean, he was responding to the popular modernists. Apparently, um, this was a attempt to be a more optimistic wasteland. So T.S. Eliot had written The Wasteland. <laughs> and set a very low bar for being more optimistic than him. <laughs> All you have to do is maybe have one yeah. smile in there and right. you're good. One thing that doesn't make you want to die <laughs> and you're more optimistic. So yeah, his, uh, there was kind of, um, we, we were all looking at Europe for our, our literary merit and as, as Eliot did. Right. Um, so Hart Crane decided, no, we're just going to look at America. We're going to look, look forward. Mm -hmm. and, and going from the sort of um, 
What was the school like Whitman and Emerson and Thoreau? The oh, the um, transcendentalist. Yeah, transcendental kind of spiritual, um, a big, expansive, optimistic, forward-thinking, very American in that way. Um, that was going to be his his I don't know calling card. Yeah, yeah. the American poet finally with a canon of American poets to stand on and there and there is yeah and it does feel like he was writing at a point where there was enough americana there's america had been around long enough that he had like a foundation to kind of almost be nostalgic about mm-hmm. not looking back to europe in the way that that elliot did um or pound um but looking sort of at america and their america's history and america as a place um but in, un, unfortunately like the language just doesn't come along yeah with with that so it, it kind of, it loses the effect. Though I can see how, you know, I think one of the things that we both mentioned is that it definitely points the way for like the, the beat poets like mm-hmm. Ginsburg and and and, uh, and other writers like Kerouac. And, serves as a bridge, one might say. I'm, I'm turning, I'm seriously, I'm turning off the recording. <laughs> Wait, this is the, this bridge is the end. <laughs> is the bridge between Whitman and the beats. Ugh. <laughs> I th- I th- look, the bad jokes are my department, okay? We can't have both of us doing it or no one will listen to us. Uh, yeah, I kind of... Uh, the the sort of Ulyssian single-day approach, you know, packing in all of the country's history. And, and using the, the place as a character, the, you know, the way that Joyce used Dublin mm-hmm. in, in so much of a better way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I wish I'd liked this more, but I, I just couldn't follow the thread of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was hard. I I know when we parted from our planning, we were both on the same page. Yeah, like, just a couple guy, days ago. This yeah. guy. What about this, this guy? This freaking guy. But last night I did have a change of heart. I read I read the whole poem again, and I found a little more worth my attention. That's, I mean, it's, it's kind of wonky, but there are some, <laughs> there are some interesting, I, I guess those like holding on to those bits of nostalgia, um, and thinking about it being a bridge between two generations of writers. Mm. Um, I mean, he, he was sort of, he was in this place where the country was like exploding with modernity. Like everything was so fast, yeah, so much development. So quickly, yeah. Yeah. There's the, there's the one poem that has sort of a train like sound to it. Which one was oh, it? Yeah. yeah. And, that, and, and that's the one that felt like you could see Kerouac reading it, you know, yeah. at, at, at Columbia university and going like, by God, I got to quit this football thing and, and start riding the rails. <laughs> yeah, it was and um, drinking more. It was in the second section, which was Powhatan's daughter. The poem is called "The River," and I remember um, reading the line. It starts: "The last bear shot drinking in the Dakotas, loped under wires that span the mountain stream. Keen instruments strung to a vast precision bind town to town and dream to ticking dream. But some men take their liquor slow and count, though they'll confess no rosary nor clue. The river's minute, but the far brook's year. Or the yeah. river's minute. Sorry, not minute. The river's minute <laughs> the, the river's by the minute. far brook's year. 
<laughs> that's actually, that's not bad. No, and yeah. I think that there's a lot of these, like he, he can, under a world of whistles, wires, and steam, caboose-like they go running through Ohio, Indiana, blind baggage to Cheyenne tagging maybe Kalamazoo. Very like, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, it has, Motion it's capturing and, the rhythm of the train. Yeah. Which I guess now is, is like sort of a, just a, such a well-known trope from like folk and, and blues music, but at the time, you know, it might have been, you know, really, um, really innovative. Maybe, yeah. maybe if we just, if I get an addition that cuts out every line with oh or thou in it, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm okay with it. Yeah, there's a lot of poems that I actually couldn't read in this. That they, it feels like there's pieces that are gems that yeah. you can, that you can look at and say, okay, I can see how this was sort of the progenitor of the beats. Yeah. And then others that I just, I literally fell asleep while I was reading. <laughs> You're like, oh, thou train. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's like the love poem to Walt Whitman. I think it's um, Cape Hatteras. Uh, that's just, right, oh, that's... Walt, oh, thy glory. Like just oh, really thy, overdone. Thy beardy beard. Yeah. <laughs> Glorious beardy beard on thine face. <laughs> I, I we did have that in that uh, Brooklyn sense. He has these moments of like things used to be better, and yeah, now yeah. they're all ruined. <laughs> he has this uh, poem Quaker Hill, where he says, "This was the promised land, and still it is to the persuasive suburban land agent in bootleg roadhouses where the gin fizz bubbles in time to Hollywood's new love nest pageant." So it's like, uh, oh, those people. <laughs> I want to go back to Whitman's days where, yeah. where beards were beards. You, you have a thing for the beard. I wish I could grow one. <laughs> Just, I, I wish I'd fit in. <laughs> I did take this book a bit like, when I think back about reading the beats, they were so important to me when I was a teenager. Yeah. And now I have a little bit less patience for him. <laughs> right, right. It's like, okay, enough ecstasy. Jeez. Yeah. And I get how this could be. And I think it's kind of an under, uh, underutilized book in the American canon. I mean, I don't, I didn't study it in school when I was uh, undergrad for literature. I think we had it as an option in high school in like, like there you go English. again, always reading things earlier. <laughs> I, well, I didn't read it. I, I just had the, the chance to. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to read this book about the Marx Brothers instead. <laughs> this was read by a student. My Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is another book with a story to it. I got my copy uh, from Powell's in Portland. And the person who owned it before I did was Megan Kennedy, M-A-G-E-N. And we tried in vain to contact her. <laughs> there's a telephone number in the yeah, book, yeah. but there's no area code. I, I tried every area code, didn't find her. Every area code. <laughs> <laughs> it took forever. I haven't, I haven't slept in two weeks. <laughs> um, but Megan wrote notes throughout the book that are clearly from a uh, class. There's some doodles, some fun doodles. But then a lot of we'll post the yeah. pictures of the doodles. But then a lot of notes that are just like um, Crane had visions of suicide, oh, which is actually true. 
Oh, right. Yeah. He, um, he had a really tragic and sort of strange ending. He jumped off of a, a steamship and supposedly his last words were just goodbye, everybody. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he had, you know, he had a troubled life, which fits into the romantic sort of vein and would kind of make sense as why, you know, why it was appealing to Bowie, maybe a younger Bowie. But according to Megan Kennedy's notes, maybe it was because he just loved the ocean because ocean is underline, underline word. <laughs> that's her, that's her note. Uh, Megan, if you're out there, uh, please get in touch. <laughs> We really want to know more about what you thought about this book. Ocean is word. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah, her notes are sometimes illegible, but innocent destruction. Oh, I love that band. <laughs> <laughs> the train becomes the metaphor for the 20th century. Agreed, Megan. Yeah. Agreed. Pippy. Yes. Very, yeah. very trenchant insight. <laughs> so now uh, I, I think I think we have to ask ourselves the question that we always ask ourselves: Why? Why, Bowie? <laughs> My reasons, I think. Well, because he was a mystic. You know, he was supposedly looking for the the soul of the matter, which Bowie had a lot of tendency towards mysticism. Yeah, yeah, and with the like the the outsider, not the outsiders. <laughs> The outsider, there's that sort of theme to it too, mm-hmm. and again, the sense of like America as mm-hmm. appealing to Bowie as a an outsider in that sense, and the American sort of the story of America, the the music of America was very appealing to him even when he was young. There's also the tender friendships of Hart Crane, which in the bio that um, was in my copy, they talk about the it was obvious that Crane's most tender friendships were with boys because they had things in common, which is a way around when you're writing a bio in the 30s of saying that he was homosexual. And, and actually there's a, uh, in the Wikipedia article on this, there's um, a little bit of analysis of the symbolic meaning of the bridge as, as a central image in the book, which I thought actually kind of summed it up pretty well. Um, when Crane positions himself under the shadows of the bridge, he is, in one sense, simply the poet of the romantic tradition, the observer who stands aside, the better to see. But he is, in another sense, the gay male cruising in an area notorious for its casual sex, which has ties back to City of Night and Rishi. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and it kind of... And then they say... Crane's epic of America gets underway as a personal quest, as a poem divided against itself in devotion to an urban setting that encourages social diversity with secret inscriptions that retain their meaning to which only a privileged few are accessible. And I think that that the kind of crypticness of it, which was not super appealing for me, might be appealing for someone to someone like Bowie who, you know, wanted to be an initiate into the mm-hmm. sort of mysticism. And, and, you know, got involved in, like, weird Aleister Crowley stuff, I think, as part of that, wanting to be in, on the end of the occult, essentially. Yeah, and I didn't think about it until recently, but the 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 privileged knowledge and sort of secret coding is is really prominent in both 
sort of mystic traditions and um, early gay right, culture. Right, right, yeah. Like you had to be secretive and sort of ritualistic about... And, and, and you dress a certain way and you, you have your uh, your handkerchief in your pocket a certain way. And and his in the start of the poem Cuddy Sark, which is the, the sort of cruising poem in uh, Hart Crane's book, he says, I met a man in South Street, tall, a nervous shark tooth swung on his chain. His eyes pressed through green glass, green glasses or bar lights made them so shine, green eyes. Whoa. Yeah. So kind of this, this is near the end of the poem, so this is nighttime now, so he's on his progress back home, and he talks to this man talks to this man if, um, friendly the, conversation intimate conversation for the uh, for the listeners at home christian is literally breaking her fingers making air quotes <laughs> she's made 17 or 18 air quotes talks the- <laughs> to this man <laughs> <clears throat> but the, it, and it's interesting that it you know it is a, it is layered enough that unless you know his biography or have like, mm-hmm. you know, access to the sort of academic writing about him, you may not, you may not get that maybe. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just under the surface of, of the poem. The other reason I think that, well, I think perhaps we stumbled upon why Bowie even knew about Hart Crane. Um, I was reading a variety article about uh st- started out talking about his role in a uh, man who fell to earth and that the movie was based on a book by nicholas rogue r-o-e-g i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right um the so that was the the filmmaker and he based it on a book by walter tevis it was also called the man who fell to earth and the epigraph in the book uh was from hart crane so knowing Bowie to be a very literate man who probably, well, almost certainly read the book that the movie was based upon could have stumbled across um, an epigraph and picked up Hart Crane. I, I th- Let's I, say that's true. Yeah, I, I, I'd say you solved the mystery there. I think yeah. that's just true. Yeah. <laughs> Let's canonize that. Yeah. <laughs> now it is gospel. <laughs> we said it. I believe it. That settles it. <laughs> done <laughs> so what um so we kind of went back and forth on the songs here okay we started off in a very bad place <laughs> when we were both in agreement that this was a bad book um not, be- not so long ago before <laughs> one of us turned traitor <laughs> before i decided to give it a second chance and say no i get it i get where it fits and I get, like, it's certainly not ever going to be my favorite, but I give it value for where it sits in the American canon. All right, explain it however you want. So our first intention was to just choose a bad song. And we, to... fa- we found a terrible one. <laughs> but then I had this horrible feeling this morning of, like, with all the beautiful Bowie songs there are, can we just not play a bad song? Because it was a bad song. It was like fake reggae. In our beautiful um, Nicholas Pegg Bible, he essentially says, this is a horrible song that's not worth anyone's time. And, and I think that, yeah, the reason behind it is, uh, or part of the reason we chose it is 
kind of, we were just so indifferent about the book. And then in the, in the Bible, it mentions the quote from Bowie of like, yeah, at that period, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. I put out whatever. <laughs> and it had a kind of bridge, um, visual. The, the song so had was... a nice bridge. <laughs> was it called Look Down? Something, yeah, something like that. So we were thinking, we were looking for any song that had to do with a bridge. Look down from a bridge or yeah. like, yeah, that works. I'm, I'm glad you talk, talked us out of it, though. <laughs> I think we ended up with a much better song. Yeah, so I, I thought that more of his early pieces would fit this book better because he was a bit more florid, kind of like overwritten... I mean, I don't know if there was any these and thous in in them, but it, essentially. <laughs> yeah, whatever the the moral equivalent of a thee or thou. Yeah, when he got into sort of his hippie, uh, folksy songwriting thing, yeah. it was a bit overdone. So we chose Conversation Piece, which, um, what was it? What was the album on? Huh. Okay, I did this super nerdy thing and I printed out a list of every song that Bowie ever recorded. <laughs> and and it, it's it's like, what, six, seven pages? Eleven. Double-sided? Oh, my God. Well, no, 11 pages. Oh, okay, okay. Total. Um, conversation piece was from the Prettiest Star single in 1969. Um, oh, so it was even before his first album, huh? Yeah. Well, his... The album with, like, The Laughing Gnome was 1967, Oh, I, yeah, I keep forgetting I that. really wanted to use something from that album because... <laughs> we just got to find the right... <laughs> wait for the right book to come along and then yeah. then you can have your laughing no. <laughs> I just can't wait. <laughs> but there was a lyric in um, Conversation Piece uh, said, uh, but for all my years of reading conversation, I stand without a word to say. I can't see the bridge for the rain in my eyes. Which... Oh, perfect, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that fits. And in the, uh, uh, in the bit of articles, uh, I guess, I guess the, the thing you posted in, in our Evernote folder was from Pushing Ahead of the Dame, the little bit about the song. Such a great web page. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh yeah and it, it it talks about like about what his thoughts about what the song could be about and it's about a struggling academic mm-hmm. spends his time wandering the streets begrudging life he may throw himself off a bridge at the song's end dun, dun. i think we have our answer foreshadowing <laughs> yeah and it, he he could be an old man or he could just be a young man with an old man's ways which i thought was really perfect because this is a 30 was he even? Yeah, he was like 30 when he wrote this book, and he sounds like... He sounds like he's 702. Yeah. <laughs> At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... It was, this is a song I'd never heard of before. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually... I actually really enjoyed it, and it makes me want to listen to more of the Bowie early period, which I kind of... Mm-hmm. As 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 you noticed, I kind of think that Bowie started, you know, with Hunky Dory. And that's not really true or, or fair. <laughs> See, the the book club has encouraged us to read books beyond our normal tastes and hear Bowie songs we never would have heard yeah. before. Yeah, it's broadening our minds. <laughs> <laughs> Pop 
podcasting is in beginning us. <laughs> in beginning. <laughs> Trademark. Oh, no, no, no. That, that, that's definitely a Simpsons reference. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. So what uh, what new thing are we going to expand our minds with next time? Next time, and I already bought my book. Ah, damn it. I got it when I was in New Orleans, uh, is Passing by Nella Larson. Ooh, a novel from the Harlem Renaissance in mm -hmm. the 20s? Also in the 20s, right? And we picked this book because there was a sign that said, Year Established 1891, and so we added that together to be 19. And Nella Larson was 19, 19 on the list. <laughs> See, this is, this is how our minds work. Brilliant. Yeah. We are <laughs> initiates into the occult knowledge of neuromancy. <laughs> Wait, is that the word? Numer numerology? Numerology. That sounds better. Yeah. Numerology is where you add the numbers together. Oh, neuromancy is... Uh, but we should have added them one more time, and then it would have been 10. What was 10? What else could we have read? Hold on. Let me look. I have it right here. The Iliad. Oh, I would, have, I would have had two poems in a row. I don't know if I could do that. Uh, but, okay, so passing Nella Larson. Yeah. Which I'm really excited to yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, me too, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think now is the time where I tell you the places that you can find us on the interwebs. So, and of course, BowieBookClub.com is yep. our website. And on Twitter, we are BowieBookPod. On the Facebooks, we are BowieBookClubPodcast. On the Instagrams, we are Bully Book Club. And I think that's it. Are Success. there other places? No, I think that's Wow, it. I actually did it. You got it. That's great. Woo! Man, writing stuff down really does help you say it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess I th that's... Yeah, I think that's it. I think there's... Can you hear Thou the... and I have come to pass to finish this grand... Adventure thus. Oh, Greg. Let's uh, have an antiphonal Azure swing and call it a day. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you again for putting up with us. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye. Gaga. Ga. <laughs> to find I'm out what's going Really? <laughs> Wouldn't think to look at me. That I spent a lot of time in education It all seems so long ago I'm a thinker, not a talker I've no one to talk to anyway I can't see the road for the The grocer store Owned by an Austrian He often calls me down to eat And he jokes about his broken English Tries to be a friend to me But for all my years of reading conversation I stand without a word to say I can't see the bridge For the rain in my eyes 
One more time. Chancel. (laughs) (laughs) I keep imagining that each of these poems can be read with one's wrist planted neatly upon thy dramatic brow. (laughs) (laughs) I was picturing it as, as like reading it like, like with a Lower East Side accent, like the Bowery Boys or something. <laughs> I've painted that Emily. That is Adora new. <laughs> well, high from dim um, chancels, <laughs> hung with dew. <laughs>